to join with me, please, in opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And in your bulletin, you will find an insert if you'd like to follow along. We will be considering today from Matthew chapter 21, very important message related to what we often refer to as Palm Sunday. But before we get into this, let's pray together, please. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this passage of scripture that we're going to consider this morning. We pray, Lord, that everything that is said and commented on from this passage would bring joy to you. And we pray that you would take the message and just apply it to our hearts today. We thank you and we praise you for the privilege of being here. We give not only ourselves, but we give our children and those who are leading them this morning to you. We just pray that you would accomplish your eternal plan and purpose as we meet together. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. When they, that is Jesus and his disciples, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them and he sat on the colts. Most of the crowds spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. As you can see in your insert, Matthew portrays the most significant coronation the world has ever witnessed, the true coronation of a true king. Traditionally, this coronation has been called Jesus' triumphal entry. It was his last major public appearance before his crucifixion and an extremely important event in his earthly ministry. There are many precious truths we might glean from a careful and prayerful consideration of Jesus' coronation in and triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This Palm Sunday, we're going to consider the ultimate priority. Back in uh, 2004, I had the privilege of being in the uh, jungles of Suriname with five different Indian tribes. And part of our time there took us to the mouth of the um, Amazon River on the north side of Brazil. And we did some hunting there overnight and so on. And that jungle area is nearly impenetrable. 
I read about an explorer who attempted going through this nearly impenetrable jungle, and he was driving those who were carrying his luggage and his baggage and so on and so forth. And he was driving them and driving them, and he drove them for two days, nearly without stopping. Well, the third day arrived, and these baggage carriers just sat down. And the explorer was very angry, and he said, Get up! Come on! We need to keep going. And they just sat there. And so he looked frustratedly at the chief, and he said, Why will these men not get up and move and carry my my baggage? And the chief looked at him, and he said, They're waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. Interesting. Obviously, he was putting some of his animistic thoughts into all of that. But I believe this story aptly illustrates a situation in which many of us may find ourselves. You know, life, we do know, don't we, can be very frenetic. And we're just go, 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 and it just doesn't seem to stop. We go from day to day and week to week and perhaps even month to month, and we're just going and going and going and going, and maybe we just need to stop. And in a biblical sense, allow our souls to catch up to our bodies. And I believe this is very closely related to what we're going to consider today. We're going to consider today the ultimate priority as we look at what the Bible, the Word of God, has to say about genuine worship. The worship that is acceptable to God. We begin by considering together the importance of worship. The concept of worship dominates the Bible. We see it in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. We discovered that sin entered the world when bottom line, the bottom line of sin entering the world was when Adam and Eve ceased to worship God. We may not think of it in those terms, but God had placed them in a perfect location. And Uh, when we've uh, conducted marriage seminars together, uh, we, we ask those in attendance, think about the first marriage. There may have been some kind of a wedding ceremony when God brought them together, and we do read that when God presented Eve to Adam, uh, the translation, uh, my modern translation, when Adam looked at Eve, was, wow. That's Genesis 1, 24. But you know, amazing. But think of the setting in, in which they found themselves. It was perfect. Perfect setting. And they worshipped God in that setting. And when they ceased to worship God is when sin entered the world. And we find worship throughout the Old and New Testaments, 
all the way up to the final book of the Bible, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We learn that all of history culminates in an eternal worshiping community in the presence of a loving God. From the beginning in Genesis all the way through the consummation in Revelation, worship permeates the Bible, the Word of God. Now, since worship is such an important part of the Bible, it's probably important for us to know a little bit about it, what it really is, and what, why it is so important. And so this leads us into a consideration of the meaning of worship. Worship is the occupation of the heart, not with its needs or even with its blessings, but with God himself. Worship is the celebration of God. You know, uh, over the years, as we've had the privilege of being involved in ministry, when we've met together with God's people to pray, we, we try to not, not control, but to direct the time of prayer. And we would use little acrostics like ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and some people twist that ACTS to another order, which is fine. That's not important. But what we tried to emphasize with adoration was just focusing on God himself. You know how difficult that is? We have found over the years that people find that very, very difficult. And, and they will quickly, very quickly, morph into thanking God for his blessings. That's different than adoration. Adoration is just focusing on God. God, you are holy, righteous, loving. Thank you. And, and to adore and worship God comes... Very difficult, I think, uh, for most of us. And God tells us in his word who he is. And instead of my just listing them, why don't you throw out different characteristics of God? One word. God is, I'll start it. God is holy. Love. Almighty. Sovereign. Awesome. Grace, patient, good, excellent. Yeah, you're not kidding. Yes, he is. God, God is, is a wonderful God. He, he's beyond expression, really, isn't he? But the word of God tells us all about him. He is faithful. I have some others here. He is all-knowing. He is unchanging. He... Uh, he Sovereign, faithful, you, you mentioned some of these things, and so much more. He is our God. And to celebrate him in the way he deserves is the true meaning of worship. Having considered the importance of worship and the meaning of worship, let's look at the authority for worship. The scriptures, the word of God, alone must be our authority in worship. Every sinner who now rests in the finished work of Christ, receives him by faith as Savior and owns him as Lord, is not only eternally saved, but is granted the privilege of worship. 
Only those of us who, by the grace of God, know him as our Savior and Lord have the privilege of worshiping him. You ever think about that? The Indians in the jungle of Suriname and Brazil and New Guinea and so on and so forth, uh, they worship, but they don't worship God. They'll worship his creation. And, and the book of Romans tells us that that's how it will be. Rather than worshiping the creator, they worship what has been created. And they'll worship the, the rocks. They'll worship trees. They'll worship the sun, moon, or stars, or, or something else. But not the true God. And those of us, again, who by the grace of God, it's not anything we did, but those of us who by the grace of God know him as our Savior and we own him as our Lord, we have the privilege of worshiping him. Every child of God, through personal faith in Christ, is invited to come boldly into the presence of God and to offer to him the sacrifice of our heart's appreciation in praise and worship. Hebrews 13, 15 instructs us, through him, or through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And 1 Peter 2, 5 tells us to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now this logically takes us to our next point, which is the object of worship. The object of the believer's worship is the eternal God. And the Apostle Paul declares in 1 Timothy 1.17, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what has happened in many Christian circles? In many Christian circles, you know what has been worshipped? Worship has been worshipped. Worship has been worshipped. And you might say, well, what, what in the world are you talking about? Well, worship style has become worshipped rather than the eternal God. And you don't, you don't have to listen real long on Christian radio. You don't have to watch real long on Christian TV or, or whatever the case might be. Worship has become, in many, many circles, the focus of worship. Do we have the best pianist? And we do, by the way. She's the best. And you know what makes her, makes her the best? She loves God. And she loves this church family. And besides that, she's good. She's very good. So kudos to Wendy. She deserves them. But you know, come on over here. If you, hey, if you're going to have worship, come on. If you're going to have worship, you've got to have a base, right? No, you don't have to. It adds for, cer for certainly, certainly it adds. But we can't begin to worship worship. Is that, is that making sense? And drums. I'd love to learn how to play drums. 
But you know, drums doesn't make worship. What makes worship worship is when it comes from a heart that is pure and sincere and honest before God. And so the question is not, man, what did I get out of worship today? That's not the important thing. The important thing is whether it was pleasing to God. And so God has blessed us with great instrumentalists and vocalists. And what makes them so great? Well, they practice, they can sing, and they love the Lord. And they love this church family. And so when they stand up here to serve, they're not up here to perform so that the congregation can just sit there and be entertained. That's not worship. Worship is what really brings joy to the heart of God because it is coming from hearts that are sincere before God. Now, if we are going to worship God in the way we should and worship him and not the worship, yes, we have a group here But you know the expression, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. If we don't come in with a heart of worship, that will affect what ascends to the ears and heart and the throne of God. So it's important that we really practice worship 24-7. This is corporate worship. But we should be worshiping Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 24-7. We should get some sleep there. But you understand what I'm saying. We should be worshiping God. And so that when we come together, we can worship him together. And make sure that our object is God himself. So very, very important. This takes us to the foundation of worship. Two things are very, very important, fundamental to worship. Redemption and relationship. Hebrews 11.6 is very clear. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Uh, when we were out uh, visiting our family just this uh, past several days, uh, we went to see the movie God's Not Dead. If you haven't seen it, we highly recommend it. And uh, I'm careful about things that I recommend. I, I wholeheartedly recommend this movie. It's very well done. It's very biblical. And, and I believe the, uh, the student... I don't want to give anything away here if you haven't seen it. But the student who is defending his faith recites this verse. He who comes to God must believe that he is. Does that take faith? Sure does. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So everyone places their faith in something. Everybody. Those who... who Uh, believe evolution, have placed their faith in a system called evolution. Those who 
are true followers of Christ, have by the grace of God, we have placed our faith in him and in what he says. And that's what separates us. Now, you all know that there has been, it's, it's, it's somewhat dying down, but it's very, very prevalent out there, big time prevalent, where some churches really focus on being seeker-sensitive and seeker-driven. And what that, basically the, the bottom line of that is that when unsaved people come in, they should feel comfortable. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would say about that. I wonder what Jesus would say about that. When we lived in Syracuse, uh, there was a huge billboard that one church had put up, and man, that, that, that billboard was very, very visible. You know what it said? Come to the, the church and be comfortable. And it had a picture of a sofa. Well, you know, not sure that's what the church is. I would question that philosophy. When people come into a church, certainly they should feel welcome. People come, we should welcome them with open arms and genuine love. And when we greet, greet with sincerity. I'm not talking about any of that. But we're not going to stand up in here and say, God loves you all. We want you to know that. So, you know, even though you mess up, don't worry about it. God loves you. And it's all going to end up the same way anyway. All roads lead to heaven. So just sit back and be comfortable. Have a cup of tea. Have a cup of coffee. And over here you can get caramel yellow if you want. Uh, You know, I'm being a bit facetious, but the bottom line is this. People... The, the morning worship service should not be designed to make people comfortable. People need to be exposed to the truth of the Word of God. And we don't plan the worship service so that anyone who may come in off the street enjoys it, necessarily. They need to hear songs that my hope is built on nothing less then Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now, if we can make it a little nicer tune or peppier tune, that's good, that's fine. Not saying anything against that. But we don't water down the truth to make people comfortable. Jesus did not do that, and he wouldn't want us to do that. So we cannot design services. And believe me, our transition team is doing a lot of work with this, We do not want a pastor who's going to come in and water down stuff just to get big. We want someone who's going to be true to the Word of God so that we worship truly and genuinely the God of the Word. Now, when people come to a church, I I keep using the word church, but you know what I'm saying. When people come here, from the community and see God's people genuinely worshiping, God may very well use that to bring them to faith in Christ. But watering it down so that people feel more comfortable when they come is not going to win people genuinely to Christ. 
It will win them to a form of worship. It will win them to a nice group of people, but not to Christ. We can be both. We don't have to be nasty to be biblical. In fact, just the opposite is true. We should be very loving. We should exude the love of Christ. And when we worship, it should be from the heart. And when people see that, people will be changed. Okay, let's move on to the power for worship. The power for worship is the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and she was asking questions about worship. She was really evading what Jesus really was trying to zero in on with her. And Jesus went right to the point, and he said this, A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. You see that? The kind of worshipers God seeks are those who worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. This may seem like a kind of a narrow statement, but uh, follow it, please. If we are not redeemed and if we are not in a right relationship with the Lord, it is impossible to worship him in spirit. Because when we come to know Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives in us. The Bible tells us that in Romans. And when we are in a right relationship with God, the Holy Spirit of God is neither grieved nor quenched. And so his power is able to flow in and through us. And so we are able to worship in spirit and in truth. And that is the kind of worship Jesus said right here. That's the kind of worship that pleases the Father. That doesn't mean we have to sit here with an old piano where the keys, half of them stick, and the ivory is off half of them, and we have someone pounding on the piano or playing an old organ that you got to pump in order to be pleasing to God. Doesn't mean that. We can have top quality music and musicians and vocalists and still worship God in spirit and in truth. But we can have all that and not be worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And that is the kind of worship that pleases God. The manner of worship. When we speak of the manner of worship, we're speaking of the inner qualities which must characterize the child of God. And we've, we've actually considered it here. Jesus points out that worship must be spiritual. That is, worship must be prompted, led, and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Worship must be sincere. That is, it must be guided by the truth of God's word. But it must be presented in a truthful and genuine way. So, God is spirit, and those who worship must worship. It's not an option. Him in spirit, that is genuine spirituality, and truth, that is genuine sincerity. Now, closely related to this are the hindrances to worship. 
Because worship is the Christian's highest privilege and ultimate priority, we can be sure, count on it, that there will be great opposition to hinder us as we seek to worship God. There is no lack of emphasis on worship within Christian circles. I mean, that is, that is the operating... Uh, that's, that is what is really focused on in a lot of churches. Worship. But you know, because worship is so important, the devil will twist it. And so when we think about the opposition to worship, the Bible speaks of the believer's enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the external enemy. The flesh is the internal enemy. And the devil is the infernal enemy. And we have all three opposing genuine worship. And again, if we are going to worship corporately in a way that pleases God, we must be in a right relation personally with the Lord. As a result of uh, being married for almost 40 years now, having three children, and there was a time where all, I guess, two, only two were ever in diapers at the same time. Uh, but getting up on a Sunday morning, believe me, we know what chaos is on a Sunday morning. Now, it's been a while, but we know what it is. And we can can testify to the fact that sometimes Sunday mornings are the worst. Aren't they? They are. The, the other days of the week, you pretty much get into a routine, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You're up. The clock goes off. You're up. You're, you go through what you need to go through. And husband gets ready for work and goes off to work. Maybe the wife gets up, off to work. Kids where they need to be. But on Sunday, it's always a little different. And probably, in most cases, more chaos. And so now you come to church, and all of a sudden, click it off and click it on. Now we're supposed to worship. The only way we can worship when we come together is when we trust God to enable us to get through those tough times. And Sunday mornings were some of the worst and most difficult. Let me share something with you. One Sunday morning over in Spain, um, we would walk to church. It was, I don't know, about a mile away probably. Uh, I would go earlier to make sure everything was ready, make sure I was all uh, prayed and ready uh, for the responsibilities the, uh, for the day. And days were very long on Sunday in Spain. we be there early morning, and get home probably 11, 11.30 at night. That was a typical Sunday. But you know, one morning, I'm all ready. Hope and I had an argument. And then wasn't a, wasn't a pretty one. I don't remember what it was about or anything about it. But I know we had an argument. And, and I just said, I got to go. I got to go, I got to get to church and get ready. I, I 
walked the mile over to church, sat down in my office, opened my Bible, go over things. I couldn't do it. I just sat there and, and, and I said, Lord, it's not right. Closed up my Bible, left it on the desk, walked back home. Went into the house, apartment. Said, honey, I need to talk to you. We went in, talked together, prayed together, and hugged. That's always the best part of arguments. But we got things right. We got things right with, with God. We got things right with each other. My heart was right with God by the time I got back to the house, actually. But, but my heart wasn't right with hope. And three little kids running all over the place. Girls run too, right? But we, we, they'd be okay. They'll be all right. Let's just go in this room. We need to talk. We talked, we prayed, we got things right. Then I walked back to church. And then later, hope came over. But you know, chaos on Sunday mornings. It's there. And those of us who are older, we don't experience it as much. But hey, let's, let's never forget those times. And let's be loving and reach out and help and support those who are in that situation. I don't know why I keep pointing over here, but, but it's for all of us. It's for all of us. We, we need to be aware <clears throat> and we need to understand those Sunday mornings can be difficult. And so let's, let's be aware of that and realize that doesn't just happen because it happens. The enemy wants it to happen. And he really does not want us to come and be in a worshipful spirit. He doesn't want it. So let's pray for and, and be available to each other. Okay, the place of worship. Now, our Lord completely swept away the common idea that one locality or one building is more holy than another, or that worship is more acceptable to him when offered in one place over another. The place or the building has nothing whatsoever to do with worship. It is the spiritual condition of the worshiper and not his physical location that determines whether worship is or is not acceptable to God. Now, having said that, there are those who carry that to an extreme. I read about a pastor who went to a, a gentleman's home. And this, this gentleman uh, had faithfully been attending church, then all of a sudden stopped. And, and no matter what he, the pastor or others in the church family did to, to encourage this man to come back, he, he didn't do it. So one day the pastor went to his home, visited him. And he went into his, the man's living room, and he had a fire in the fireplace. And as they talked, the pastor said, Mangano, what, what's taking place? Why, why do you, don't you worship anymore with us? He said, I don't need to. I don't need to go in and sit next to noisy kids. 
I don't need to try and find a parking spot or to walk through mud in the spring. I don't need to go and sit next to imperfect people. I can sit right here in my recliner, hit the remote, and get the greatest preachers in the whole United States. Pastor said, I can't argue with that. He said, but let me show you something. He went over to the fireplace and pulled out one of the logs that was in the fire. Within minutes, that bright, glowing, burning log was gray and smoldering and not throwing off any heat or receiving any heat. He said, this is you. This is a believer that is disconnected from other believers. I had a very similar situation. Guy came to my office one day. He came in and he was crying and he said, I, I lost my job and my marriage is a mess and so on and so forth. And, and I listened to him. And, but I knew that wasn't his bottom line problem. His bottom line problem was his relationship to Christ. So after listening to him for a while, I, I said uh, to him, I said, uh, sir, I'd like to ask you about your relationship to Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about some of this other. I promise we will talk about this other. But I need to talk to you first about your relationship to Christ. Oh, yeah, I, I received Christ way back. He told me about it and told me about this situation and instance and so on and so forth. And I said, that, that, that's good. I'm very happy to hear that. I said, where do you worship? Do you worship anywhere? No, no, I, I, I don't need that. I said, well, the Bible would, would disagree with that. I said, what do you do on Sundays? Well, it was the typical, <clears throat> I'm in my living room, I'm sitting in my recliner, and I listen to the best preachers in the world. And so I said to him, um, and believe me, I said it with love, but I said it. I said, well, why didn't you call up that? He told me who he listened to. I said, well, why didn't you call him up and ask him to help you find a job? And ask him to help you with your marriage. Why didn't you do that? Well, he wouldn't take the time to do that. I said, bingo. You need to be in a local church. I, I said, you don't need to be in our local church. But you need to be in a local church where you can be with other believers. Long story short, I helped the man find a job. I helped him with his marriage. And he and his family became very active members in Seneca One. But you know, we all need each other. And that's, I'm not talking about hoopla and team spirit and all that kind of thing. We're talking word of God. God tells us, do not forsake Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, that is the second coming of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ approaching. This is something from the Word of God that we are to do. It is not an option to be a faithful attender 
in a local church that preaches and teaches the Word of God. It is instruction, clear instruction from the Word of God. The results of worship. The results of genuine worship will be far-reaching, affecting God, affecting the believer, affecting the church family, and affecting the unsaved. The results of genuine worship. God will be glorified. Believers will be blessed. Our Seneca Community Church family will be edified, and unbelievers will be saved. That is what genuine worship will do. Let me repeat it. The results of genuine worship. God will be glorified, and that's the most important. Secondly, believers will be blessed. Thirdly, our Seneca Community Church family will be edified. Number four, unbelievers will be saved. That's what genuine worship does. In the days of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, according to legend, the Holy Grail was the cup from which Christ drank at the Last Supper. Now the quest for the Grail was the highest spiritual pursuit of the knights around King Arthur's table. This is all according to legend. As Christians, our highest priority, our highest pursuit, our top priority, number one pursuit, should be genuine worship. Worship that is acceptable to God. And when that is the case, God will be glorified. Believers will be blessed. Our church family will be edified. Unbelievers will be saved. I'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider that truth as Scott uh, plays a number for us in closing.
Father, we pray that our lives would be characterized by this ultimate priority of genuine worship, worship that is acceptable to you. And as we think the mob that, that worshiped Jesus but did not worship him genuinely, we pray that we would not fall into that category but that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, genuinely from hearts that are right with you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.